Turn with me to Psalm 127. There's some things I'd like to minister to you a bit on. Psalm 127 and the uh, very first verse. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Does that mean all their work was for nothing? Yeah. And he goes on to say, Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain. So he's talking about things that are vain, isn't he? What does vain mean? Useless. Good for nothing. Waste of time and effort. It is vain for you to rise up early and sit up late. And you're not just saying it's useless to get up or, or stay up late sometimes, but it's useless to do that in order to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. It's absolutely good for nothing to stay up late worrying about stuff and scared about stuff. It's absolutely worthless to get up early, right? Can't sleep because you're worrying because you're scared. He didn't say it was wrong to have a watchman. He just said the watchman watches in vain, except what? Except the Lord is keeping the city. So, you know, sometimes people get in one ditch or the other. But it's not wrong to have a police force. It's not wrong to have a military you know, if we didn't have a military, <laughs> you'd probably be speaking a different language by now, and us not have a church. Hmm? Thank God. Don't you thank God for our men and women that are all over this globe defending our interests and our rights and our freedoms. Oh, thank God. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of confused people around. You know, about these things. And I won't get into that right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even though you have a strong military, that's not enough. I said, that's not enough. You can have the best armies in the world. You can have the latest technology. You can have better technology than anybody you can have the most money. You can have the most weapons. You can have the biggest and best armies and be defeated. Did you know that? And you know, a lot of people are really excited about their particular presidential candidates. And, and you know, uh, they act like that when these people get in office, that they're going to fix everything for us and save us from all evil and bring total prosperity. They can't. They can't. There is no man or woman that can do these things. Now there are people that can cause you more problems than others. <laughs> and you need to be led about who you vote for and what you do. But you need to know that no matter who gets in. And no matter how great an army and how great a military. Unless the Lord. Keeps this country. The army trains in vain. People are elected in vain. Unless the Lord. Keeps it. Now there's a lot of folks don't know this. But they should. Because it's absolutely the truth. And I have it on my heart. To talk about this a little bit this evening. Can you hear it? Can you be okay with you? Uh. Find Luke 9 for me, please. Luke 9. The Lord is the protector. The keeper. The protector. If he doesn't keep and protect, whether it's an individual or a family, a church, a business, a state, a country, a nation. 
If he doesn't keep, then it won't be kept. And everybody that tries to keep it safe, their labors will be in vain. They can sacrifice everything, and it mean nothing, and come to nothing. So, uh, most importantly, is that the Lord is keeping us. Most importantly. Now, it's important before we go further to make sure everybody's clear on who is the destroyer and who is the keeper. Because you, I mean, there's millions of Christians try to tell you they're the same person. And when destruction occurs, you know, they want to say, well, you know, God did this and God destroyed this and that and and we just don't know why. And the implication is that destruction can come at any time and God's ways are mysterious and you just will probably never know. Well, that's kind of scary. The destruction could come from God at any time and you not know why. And if you don't know why, how can you do anything about it to prevent it or to stop it? No, God is the keeper. He is the protector. He is the good God. He's not the destroyer. Destruction is not his will. It doesn't please him. Luke 9. Luke 9. Down about verse 50 or so here. Luke 9. Let's see. uh, 51. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is Luke 9, 52 now. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, how about we call fire down? (laughs) These people didn't receive us. (laughs) Will you that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? How about it, Lord? We turn them all into crispy critters. (laughs) Now, what did he say? What did he say? Yeah, my boys, sometimes the Lord is in a mood to fry people. But, but not today. What did he say? What did he say? Now come on, this is very important. Very important. He turned and rebuked them. Now that's a strong word. Isn't it? Why would he rebuke them? Because they are so far off. Well now... If sometimes God zaps people, they wouldn't have been that far off. Maybe just bad timing. (laughs) Not today, not this day, not this group. But no, he rebuked them. And what did he say? He said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. You don't know me well enough. You don't know what kind of spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus for you to be thinking like that. Why? Because God is not the destroyer. Now a whole lot of people, including preachers, including theologians, say He is, but He's not. I said He's not. And they think that because they don't know Him well enough. They don't know what kind of spirit Christians are of and to be of. Verse 56, come on, these are red letters, right? Red, red. I mean, it just doesn't come any truer than this, any more sure than this. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
Jesus didn't come to destroy. He's not in the destroying business. He's in the saving business. Do you believe it? It's not just one isolated verse. How many remember John 10? 10. What did Jesus say? The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I mean, he's not talking about the father, is he? Certainly not using the word thief. The thief. Who's the thief? There's a devil. You know, a lot of the church acts like there's no devil. There's a devil. (laughs) He's the thief. He is the stealer. He is the killer. He is the destroyer. Revelation 9 says his name is Apollyon. His name is Abaddon. Both of those mean destroyer. He's the destroyer. Not God. Jesus said, the thief comes not every time he comes, in other words. This is what he's coming to do. He never comes for a friendly visit. He never comes just to chat. (laughs) Every time he comes, he comes not except he's coming to steal something from you or to kill you or to destroy something in your life every day. And what prevents him from doing that? You're still here. You have not been killed. You have not had everything stolen from you. You have not been completely destroyed. Why? (laughs) Because the Lord has kept you. God has kept you by His mercy, by His angels, by His Spirit, by His grace and wisdom. He has kept you until this present hour. All the way from your mother's womb until your most recent breath. Do you believe it? If you don't believe it, you're a fool. If you think that you've made it this far by your own good looks and brains and brawn. And that you are a self-made man and you have pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps where you're just, I'm sorry, wrong. And foolish. No. It's because of God. He has kept us. Now sure. You're to do what you know to do. The watchman is to get up and watch. The military is to train. And go out. But unless the Lord keeps the city. They're all working for nothing. And you can do everything you know to do. And unless the Lord keeps you. You're not going to be kept. You will not make it. But he has kept you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What did Jesus say? I am come. I am come. Let's believe every word of this now. I am come that you might barely make it in. No. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If you look up those words, that word is the word means super abundant. What does the Amplified say? Put the Amplified up there, please. The Amplified, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. What? Life. In abundance to the full Till it overflows. Glory. Glory. That's what Jesus gives you. Not destruction. Not death. It's sad that so much of the church world is still confused about these things. You can't decide for them, but you can for yourself. If you believe it, say it out loud. I know. know. My God. My God. Is not the destroyer. No, he's not. No, he's not the God who destroys me. He's the God who keeps me. Thank you, Lord. That's why I'm still here. 
It's why I'm going to make it the rest of the way. Because he is able. And he is faithful. To keep me. Go with me to Luke 13. You're in Luke 9. They're just over a couple of pages. Now let's get into some other parts of this. I just wanted to remind you of this. Of course there may be some people here or watching that hadn't heard it before. But you might say well Brother Keith. There are a lot of Christians that hadn't been kept. True. There's been some good people. There's some bad stuff that's happened to. True. Does that change what we just said? No. Mm -mm. <laughs> the Bible's true. No matter what you've experienced or haven't experienced, the Bible is true. No matter what you understand or don't understand. Don't start changing the Bible and trying to water down the Bible to fit what you don't understand. Match your lack of experience or other people's bad experiences. But the question comes, why? You need to believe God even if you don't know why. But there are answers. There are answers, many answers, very plain and strong in the Bible that people just have not looked at or accepted. But Luke 13, Jesus dealt specifically with this question and answered it. And we need to pay attention to what he said. Luke 13, 1. There were present at that season some that told him, told Jesus, of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That's an awful thing. That's a, a violent thing that was perpetrated on these people. They're there offering their sacrifices, and apparently he sent soldiers there, and while they were letting the blood of the animals, he let their blood and cut them up and mixed their blood in with the sacrament and killed all of them, slaughtered them. Now, as we go through this, you'll see these were terrible, catastrophic destruction and events that everybody around the area knew about. It'd be like us seeing something really bad on the news. And he mentions two things. He mentions violence of men, and the next one, what we might call acts of nature, some people call. And some people very wrongly call acts of God. He said, verse 2, Jesus answered and said to them, Suppose ye, now what does suppose ye mean? Do you think? That these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Now what is he dealing with? The question, why did this terrible thing happen to these people? Isn't he? Are you interested in the words of Jesus here? Why did these terrible things happen? He said, verse 3, I tell you, Nay. What does nay mean? No. no. They were not worse people than other people living in that same area. That's not why it happened to them. Now that throws a whole lot of Christians' theology right out of the window. Doesn't it? Because a whole lot of people, every time something bad happens, they holler, Judgment! God's judging the place. The Bible has already given us some answers that the church is not paying attention to. Judgment. It's judgment. You know, Brother Jesse Duplantis is down in New Orleans. And uh, he was perturbed because some people were really talking about that was God's judgment. Katrina, you know, coming on New Orleans and destroying it. And he said... If it was, he missed the worst spots. <laughs> the worst spots with the most debauchery. A lot of that escaped. There's more to it than that. And a lot of times the world has despised Christians. 
Because at times of crisis, when terrible things are happening, a lot of Christians, that's all they know to do is jump up and go, see, I told you. Judgment. That does not endear us to them. It just only comes across as I'm better than you. Which is a lie. We are not spared when other people are destroyed because we are smarter and better and holier. Are you listening? This is not my talking and thinking now. Read the scripture. What did Jesus say? He said, do you think that the reason that happened to them is because they were worst people? They were sinners above all the Galileans? What did he say? I tell you, no. no. Now we should accept the master's words on it, shouldn't we? I mean, if he says no, what's the answer? No. no. Then quit saying it. No, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He says, that don't make me feel any better. <laughs> it can, for we're through. Keep reading. He said, verse 4, Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, killed them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Do you think they were worse than everybody there in Jerusalem? That's why that happened to them? They were such bad people? A lot of people would say so. A lot of Christians would say so. What did Jesus say? Come on, read it out. I tell you, nay, not so. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. It didn't happen to them instead of somebody else in the same town because they were worse people. No. And it's wrong for Christians to act superior. When there are terrible situations going on. And act like it's because y'all were so bad. Because the implication is we're spared because we're better than you. And it's not true. I said it's not true. Now keep reading. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone. This year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that you shall cut it down. The implication is that it was spared. And not cut down. Why? Why? Does all this flow together? People being killed through violent wrong. People being killed through buildings falling on them. And now what's this got to do with it? It all flows together. Someone cut down or not cut down. And on this last occasion, why would the one not be cut down? Because somebody, somebody asked for some mercy. Oh, come on. And some time and some space. And the Lord is very gracious and said, okay, all right. <laughs> oh, glory to God. You know, in my own family, there's been times that uh, individuals had messed up and made mistakes. And I knew the Lord had given repeated opportunities for things. And I knew everything that I knew of Judgment was due. And I didn't have a leg to stand on. As far as righteousness was concerned. 
And the person wasn't believing God, wasn't trying to obey God, wasn't trying to repent from rebellion, wasn't trying to do anything. So what do you say? I said, Lord, I know you've done it already again and again, but I'm asking you, have mercy, time, space to repent. I know you've already done it, but I'm asking you. And you know, I had the, I don't mean to hurt an audible voice, but the Lord spoke to my heart on one particular occasion. He said, son, said Keith, I'm going to do it just because you asked me to. Mm, and he did. He did. And the situation's totally different. Glory to God. Glory to God. Somebody say, just because, just because we asked him to. Asked him to. Thank you, Lord. Just because we asked him to. Well, how many know in that case it would be because of his mercy? Not because it was owed to us or them or we deserved it or because we'd been so good or done everything so right. And when we're spared, when others are not, we dare not act superior. We dare not act holier than thou. And like we're better than somebody in some way. Or even that we did better than somebody in some way. Because for everything we know, there's a million things we don't know. And his mercy is making up the difference. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Let's just thank him right now for prayers he's heard. Lord, we thank you. Had you not spared us so many times before now and years before now, we wouldn't even be here tonight. None of us would be. We acknowledge it. We thank you. Thank you for your keeping mercy. Thank you for sparing us from judgment and destruction. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, how we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Turn to two other places now, please. Job 1 and Isaiah 5. Why are some spared and some kept when others are not? It's because of his mercy. But let's talk further about how he does this, how his mercy works in this area. And then, and this is most important, what we can do that allows him to be merciful to us. Are you interested in that? Oh, you ought to be. We ought to be. Job, the first chapter. Job chapter 1. And verse 9, Satan, is there a Satan? Is there a devil? Who is he? He's the destroyer. What does he do? Every time, everywhere, every year, every generation, every tribe, every people, everywhere, every time, kill, steal, destroy, every time. That's all he's interested in. That's all he comes to do. And that's what he's trying to do right now, isn't it, in this book? What does he want to do to Job? He wants to steal from him. He wants to destroy him. He wants to kill him. Well, here's the question. If he wants to do it so bad, (laughs) what's he waiting on? Why hasn't he already done it? I know the Lord helped me with that years ago. I was uh, I was first year Rama, just starting in the ministry. This is decades ago, and uh, thoughts begin to come to my mind. Of course, now I see it clearer than ever. It was the devil, but you know, you're not going to live very long. You know, what are you in here training for the ministry? You're not going to make it very long. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. Well, the previous two generations on my mom's side, the men hadn't lived past 21 years of age. 
That's about where I was. He was trying to mess with my head with that. Why? Isn't that mysterious? <laughs> and then sometimes my relatives would show me pictures of him in the casket of my the most recent one and tell me I look just like him. And of course, the enemy wants to come and go, yeah, and you're going to die just like him, too. You're not going to make it. You're never going to get old. You know, I'm going to kill you. Uh, you're not going to make it very long. I'm going to kill you. These thoughts would come. These feelings would come. Of course, that's what he wants to do to all of us. But I didn't realize what was going on. But eventually, I, thank God, I was in school. I was getting fed the word. I was getting some faith in me. I was learning some things about the Holy Spirit. Thank God could have been a whole different story if I'd have just stayed home and not obeyed God. But the, I begin to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and pay attention to Him and listen to Him. I'm not talking about trying to hear voices, but the Bible said He bears witness with our spirit. He can let us know we're saved. If He can let you know that and that you're a child of God, He can let you know something else, couldn't He? And He spoke to my heart. He said, why don't you ask Him why He hasn't already done it? Now, that's not how traditional Christian folk think, is it? They're like, oh, don't antagonize the devil. Ooh, just, ooh. <laughs> that's because you're afraid of him. And if you're afraid of him, it means you have faith in him. And it's sad that a lot of Christians have more faith in the devil to destroy them than they do in their God to keep them. If you got enough faith in God to keep you, you're not afraid of the devil to destroy you. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. God didn't. So it came up in my spirit. Why don't you ask him why he hasn't already done it? And I had, you know, kind of a bumpy childhood. I mean, good home, good parents and everything, but I was... A little bit wild. I mean, not just talking about criminal wild, but I just, man, I'd try it. <laughs> I visited the emergency room every summer. <laughs> now, I got scars. I've been thrown through barbed wire fences. I've jumped off of cliffs and opened up, you know, landed on the rocks and cut myself. I've gone down on motorcycles and slid up hills. I've, you know... The devil had lots of opportunities to take me out, just like you. You might not have been quite as rowdy, but there was plenty of opportunities, some of you more so. But why didn't he kill us any of those times? I mean, there were times when I was a little baby that I ran, you know, I was sick and I had high fevers and there were problems. I could have died any time through that. You know, why hasn't he already killed you? I thought, yeah. I began to get sassy about it. I thought, yeah. Yeah, bad boy. You're so bad. You're going to kill me. Why haven't you already done it? Just because you like me for some reason? You're going to let me live a while? No, I don't think so. You're just waiting for the right time? Tell me, tell me. Why hasn't he already killed me and you? Why? Why? He has not been able to. He has tried. Oh, oh. We don't even know all the stuff he set up trying to kill us. We know a few things. We don't know the half of it. So many of the times he tried to kill us, we were never even aware that it happened. Maybe the Lord will show us some of these things. When we get to heaven, we'll stand and go, oh, whoa, wow. I didn't know that was there. Oh, I didn't know that was there. Oh, oh. <laughs> He has spared us myriad, thousands of times. Why hadn't the devil already killed and destroyed Job? Couldn't. Couldn't. Keep reading. Verse 10, and here's what he said. And here's what you need to know and get excited about. Have you not made a hedge about him? And about his house, house doesn't just mean the building they lived in, that's all his family. And about all that he has on every side, that's all his stuff. That's his stuff. 
You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Why? You know, one way to get wealthy is just quit losing stuff. (laughs) Quit having to spend money on doctor bills. Quit having stuff stolen from you. Quit having stuff wrecked and tore up and... Right? Just stop the destruction and killing and stealing and you automatically begin to prosper. What is a hedge? If you look it up, we all understand this word. Strong says fence. Fence. God has fences. Supernatural Spiritual hedges, fences. He's always had them, and he's still got them. And he puts them around his people. Everybody he can. I said everybody he can. He puts fences around them. Oh, I want you to get a picture of this fence in your mind. I said get a picture of this fence. The devil is frustrated. Can you tell it here? He's frustrated. He's frustrated. He's bad. Job is hurting his business. And he's been doing it for years. Because he's the richest man in that whole part of the world. He's the most influential man. All the little kids want to grow up and be like Job. Throughout multiple states and countries all around. They want to grow up and love God. And be a multi-billionaire. Like Job. And it's just (laughs) chafing the devil to no end. He goes to take this man out. Because kings get his advice. Everybody who wants to be in authority. They try to make nice with Job. Job is the man. Do you understand? And he loves God with all his heart. And he does everything he can to uphold righteousness and help people. Now the devil hates holy people. But if there's anything he hates worse than holy people that love God, it's rich people that love God. Oh, now that that just messes up everything. Because he keeps lying to people that the one thing you got going for you if you go away from God is that you can have some money and you can party and you can have some fun. But if you love God, you have to forfeit all that. And you can't prosper and you can't have you got to be broke. And it's a lie. I said it's a lie. Now we won't go into all the detail, but what he's after is getting this fence down. Because if he can get the fence down, he can do the killing. He's expert at that. He can do the destroying. And there's nothing Job by himself can do about it to stop it. Job's got money. He could hire soldiers. He could do all kind of stuff. But how many know, unless the Lord keeps the city, you get up for nothing. You load your gun for nothing. And the devil can't touch him, can't do it, unless he can get that fence down. Now, he was able to get it down, wasn't he? For a while. And then Job got it back up. Remember that? End of the book. End of the book, Job got healed. Got twice as much as what he had, right? Was even more influential. Even richer. <laughs> Even stronger. Historians, those that have studied these things, tell us they uh, suppose that the whole episode of Job, his sufferings and troubles, happened in less than a year. Maybe eight or nine months. He had a bad year. And he had a very bad, rough year. And yet, isn't it sad that so many Christians have justified a whole lifetime of sickness and failure supposedly on this book and said, I guess I'm just like poor old Job. Job was never poor except for a few months. That's right. 
And he got that fixed straight away. And became twice the billionaire that he started out being. It was rough. It was hard. It was bad. No misunderstanding that. He suffered horribly. Why? Who, I mean, without going into all this, the Bible said, who went forth and and took, stole Job's herds and flocks and killed his kids? Who went forth and smote Job with sore boils from the crown of his head to the soles of his foot? Who did the Bible say did that? Satan. Satan. Who did it? Satan. Satan. He went forth. He did it. Do you believe it now? He did it. How could he do it? Fence was down. Hedge was down. Go with me to Isaiah 5. What do we want with this fence? We want it up. We want it all the way up. We want it up 24-7. We never want it to come down. Ever. Why? Because without it, we're in trouble. No matter what we think we know, no matter who we think we know, no matter what money you might have or connections you might have, it ain't enough. When the fence is down, nothing's enough. And not just around you personally and your family personally, but how many know we need a hedge around our nation? Do we? We need a hedge. Around our family, we need a hedge around our church, we need a hedge around our city, we need the hedge around our nation. And every nation could have the hedge around them. I said every nation could have God's hedge of protection around them. Now Isaiah 5, did you find it? Isaiah 5 We'll begin here in about verse 1. Just start from the top here. He said, now of course this is the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking by the Spirit. He's seeing by the Spirit. He said, I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Uh, We just got through reading in Luke 13. Huh? About an orchard vineyard, right? You'll find this language repeated many times. My beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he what? It makes me want to shout just reading that one phrase. Right what did he do? He fenced it. One translation says he made a wall. He made a wall about it. And he gathered out the stones thereof. And he planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the midst of it. And he made a wine press. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. It shouldn't have brought forth wild grapes. This is wild, sour, bitter, wrong grapes. And it's not what he planted. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? He said, what more could I have done for it? What would you think the answer would be? Nothing. Wherefore, why then, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? Now go to, I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. Is this a problem? Oh. Friends, this world is a rough place. We make it month after month and year after year without serious problems. We should not let it lull ourselves into a sense that this earth is safe. It is not. There is no place on this planet that you could really call safe. I mean, there's enough disease, there's enough violence, there's enough crazy people all over the world ready and willing to destroy, right? There's danger everywhere. There's peril everywhere. The only thing 
that keeps you is this hedge, this wall. How many believe this wall is real? Yeah, I mean, you can't see it unless the Lord would open your eyes to it, but it's real. It's there. He said, I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and I'll break down the wall, and it shall be trodden down. Now, who's trodden it down? He didn't say he was going to trod it down. He didn't say he was eating it up. But how many know there's plenty of things to trot it down and eat it up all around? They're all over the place. The only thing that's keeping them out is the wall, the fence, the hedge. He said, it shall be trodden down, and I'll lay it waste. It'll not be pruned nor digged, and there shall come up briars and thorns. I'll command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. It's his people. And the men of Judah his pleasant plan. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression. For righteousness, but behold a cry. Can you see how the protection of God works? But that men can do things, God's own people can do things that removes it. Now, people say the wrong thing and they ask the wrong questions. I've heard even good people, good-hearted preachers, say just some absolutely wrong things when terrible things happen and tragedies occur. I've heard believers say, why did God do this? Why is God putting us through this? That's not the right question. You're not even thinking right. You know, there was much said When the terrorists crashed into the Twin Towers. And a lot of people thought that was their opportunity. To jump up and say God is judging America. There is a truth about judgment. But just saying it like that. And coming across like that. Is not right. And it's leaving wrong impressions. And it is saying things that's not true. And then you got people say God did this. God sent the hurricane. God sent Did God send the terrorists? That's not the right question. God's not the destroyer. You believe it or not? He is not the destroyer. Who is he? He's the keeper. Right? He's our protector. Here's the question that we ought to be asking ourselves. Not why did God do it because it wasn't his will. Didn't please him at all. He's not the destroyer. The question is, why couldn't he keep us from it? He's kept us from thousands of things every week. Right? Year after year after year. Why couldn't he keep us from that? What happened? How did it get in? We know it can't get through the hedge. Oh, friend, this is important. This hedge, I'm so excited about this hedge. This hedge is impenetrable. Nothing can get through this hedge. Nothing. There is no devil. There is no disease. There is no violent, devilish person. Nothing can get through this. Nothing. So you needn't be concerned. About the efficacy of this wall. What we do need to be concerned with. Is doing anything. That would cause it to come down. Whose fault was it. Reading this passage. That the wall came down. This Isaiah 5. Whose fault was that. Was that the Lord's fault. What was it. Was it his plan. For the wall to come down and for the wild beast to come in and devour and trample. No. What was his will? His will was for the thing to flourish and bring forth good fruit. Right? And increase and multiply and him water it and him keep it and him protect it. And nothing molested. Nothing bothered. But his people used his protection and his resources 
to do evil. When we're prospered and we're kept year after year, it's not so we can rebel against God. So we can take Him out of everything. Did you hear me? So we can act like there is no God. See, how displeasing this must be to the Lord for people who are enjoying His protection to affirm that He doesn't exist and that there's no reason to read a Bible or to pray or it's just a crutch that simple people need. If you were God, how long would you want to keep the hedge up on a bunch like that that are blaspheming you daily and railing at you and ain't got enough sense to know that the reason they're still alive is because you have been doing this every moment of every day and night. Hmm. Well, we can't control everybody, but we can sure believe for ourselves. And how about you say it out loud? I know, I know. why I'm still here. <laughs> I know it's because I have a protector. Oh, thank you, Lord. There's so much more could be said about this, but I don't think we should take the time right now. Go to Lamentations, the third chapter. Well, maybe I do have time for one thing. Numbers 21, then Lamentations 3. Go to Numbers 21 first. I believe we're making advancement in this tonight. I do. Numbers 21 paints such a vivid picture of what we're talking about here tonight. Numbers 21 and 4. Says they journeyed, this is God's people, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass or circle the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now this is what you have to watch out for. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. This is the beginning of getting the hedge removed. And what is the word? Discouragement. Discouragement is the beginnings of fear. How did Job's hedge get removed? He said it himself. The thing I greatly feared came on me. Didn't he? There were several things going on there, but that's one of the most outstanding. And here, these people begin to be discouraged, and they spoke against God and against Moses. When you get discouraged, and you're not looking right, and you're not thinking right, then the natural progression is you want to blame other people for your problems, and why you're that way, and why things are not working for you. Why things are not right. So now you are discouraged and you are judging. You are not walking in love. You are not walking in faith. And these are two of the greatest components of the New Testament life. Aren't they? If you don't walk in faith and walk in love, you're in trouble. Just that simple. The Lord requires this of us. It's not optional. He requires us to walk in faith and walk in love. They got discouraged. They start griping. They start blaming Moses and blaming God. We already talked about this earlier. Are there Christians today that are blaming God for stuff? So wouldn't that explain why they just keep having more and more problems and more and more trouble? Why? Their hedge is down. I said their hedge is down. Let me keep reading this here. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Are they afraid? Oh, you can tell it. Are they afraid of dying? Yes. For there's no bread. There's no water. Our soul loathes this light bread. They're talking about the manna that fell out of the sky every day. 
And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Now you have to look at the language here. Somebody said, said the Lord sent the snakes among them. It does. But you'd almost have to understand some Hebrew. To understand the language. He did it in the sense that he passed judgment. That allowed the destroyer access. For a better study of this. Study what happened with the Passover lamb. Look at the language. He kept saying I will do this. I will do this. But then he said if you'll put the blood on the entryway. I won't allow the destroyer to come in. So who's actually doing the destroying? It wasn't him. Then why would it say he did it? Because he is the one that passed the judgment that allowed the destroyer access. And the destroyer could not have had access unless the judgment allowed it. But now here's something very, we're going to see this again in scripture. Even though God passes judgment that allows the destroyer access, it grieves him. It grieves him. To allow these things. It doesn't please him. It's not his will. But he is the righteous judge of all the earth. He has to do what's right. Even if it grieves him. Oh come on can you see this. What is his will? His will is hedge up. Hedge up. Let me protect you. Let me keep you. But when you start getting into fear. And judging people and blaming people and griping and unbelief. He cannot. How can he? Other people are being destroyed because of this. And he's going to keep you when you start doing the same thing. How can he do it? He wouldn't be fair. He wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be right. And so snakes begin to bite the people. Now, I was reading this some years ago and the thought came to me. Why haven't they had any problem with snakes before? (laughs) I mean, there's snakes in the desert. What's been going on? And then I begin to realize, I mean, all the way, you go all the way back into Exodus from here. From the day Moses and Aaron came out there and said, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. What began to happen? There was destruction. In Egypt. I mean widespread. Amazing. Destruction. But it didn't touch the people of God. Did it? I mean there were frogs. But they didn't bother the people of God. There were flies. There were lice. There were all kinds of stuff. There was blood. But it didn't bother the people of God. In fact. On one occasion it became pitch dark. In the middle of day. But in the land of Goshen, the sun was shining. Now, how do you do that? And on the last one, death, there was some kind of terrible plague that swept through and people died instantly. The firstborn in every family, including all the animals, died. But when it came to the border of the land of Goshen, it hit something. And it couldn't cross. And none of God's people's children died. And none of their animals died. Why? Oh, come on, can you see it? Why? Why? There was a hedge. There was a wall. There was a fence. I know when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Jurassic Park. (laughs) I say, what? Yeah. You remember Jurassic Park? The, man, they had some monsters that they had developed out there. Right? And what was keeping them safe? There was a gigantic high voltage fence. Keeping, uh, what was it, velociraptors and uh, trianosaurus away from the people. And when did things really get problematic? <laughs> The fence, oh, the fence went down. Oh, man. And almost everybody got eat. Right? 
Well, I know it sounds funny, but that's exactly what's going on in the world. The world is full of velociraptors. And Trianosaurus rexes. I mean, they're out there. How many know in the wilderness there were snakes everywhere? There were snakes all over the place. Why aren't they being bothered? Why aren't the people being snake bitten before? I suppose you could have gone out maybe a few miles outside the camp and there were snakes and scorpions and all kind of stuff everywhere, but they come up against something. And they couldn't go on into the camp until they start griping and belly aching and fearing and judging and talking about people and blaming other folks and somebody turned the fence off. Oh, come on. Can you see it? Somebody turned the fence off. And on that show, you know, the the mean dinosaurs would go around and test the fence. Remember that systematically. Test the fence. Test the fence. The devil's doing it every day. You can sit in the book of Job, can't you? What was he doing? How did he know so much about that hedge? He's been all over it. Hasn't he? He said, you put a hedge around him and all his house and everything he's got and all his stuff. How do you know so much about it? He's been testing it every day. Oh, but this fence is impenetrable. No disease, no plague, no terrorism, no poverty. Nothing can penetrate it. Nothing can penetrate this fence. What is this fence? That's what he's talking about in Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Glory to God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And how many know as he goes down through there, no plague will come nigh your dwelling. Nothing can touch you. Why? Glory to God. Does this excite you at all? Glory to God. Go to Lamentations 3. Lamentations. Now you may not know where Lamentations is. It's back in the Old Testament. We're looking at the third chapter. If you find Jeremiah, you're, you're real close. Lamentations, what would you think that's about? Lamenting. Sorrow. Why? Well, they're being destroyed. The people of God are being destroyed. Foreign armies have invaded them, conquered them, stripped them, done terrible things to them, destroyed the house of God, made them slaves taken their children, taken their lands and their money. And this little book is written expressing the sorrow, lamenting. But there's great revelation in it. He said, verse 22 of chapter 3, It is of the Lord's mercies. That we're not consumed. Now let's just stop right here. You understand. They've been through some stuff. But he's still alive. (laughs) And he's talking about it. And they made it through it. And they came out. Do you remember. When Satan attacked Job. And he's trying to get judgment against him. uh, And talking to the Lord about it. He said will you put a hedge about. Touch him. Touch him. What he's trying to say. Let me at him. Because when judgment came, it wasn't God that struck him. Have you read it? The Bible said Satan went out of the presence of the Lord and attacked him. Smote Job. Who did it? Satan, the destroyer. But the first time around, you remember, he said, you know, do basically let me at him, let me at him. And he allowed judgment that would allow him access to his stuff. He said, but don't touch his life. Oh, come on, can you see this? Even when the Lord basically has no choice, He will hold as much as He can. Oh, come on, can you see this? He said, well, yeah, but you can't cross this. You can't kill Him. He'd have killed Him the first day. He'd have killed, right? He said, no, you can't. 
And even when he was able to attack his body, he said, yeah, but you still can't take his life. Mercy of God. Mercy. Mercy of God. Even when you're doing everything wrong, when you're the one that brought the fence down, still, God will, he will protect you as far as he can without being unjust. Oh, glory to God. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Glory to God. Stand up on your feet, everybody. Oh, hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.